VOA News. morning, Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm James Barty in Washington. Today is Wednesday, September 21st, and here are some of the stories we are covering. Senegal's president and current African Union chairperson, speaking through an interpreter, calls for de-escalation of the Ukrainian war. We call for a de-escalation and a cessation of hostilities in Ukraine, as well as for a negotiated solution to avoid the catastrophic risk of a potentially global conflict. We'll speak with a former UN official on why it has been difficult for Africa to get a permanent seat on the UN Security Council. Refugees in Malawi appeal against a court order to relocate to camps. Sierra Leone's education minister discusses his country's education policy. Liberia's Elections Commission reduces campaign time for next year's polls. Eritrea is urged not to meddle in Ethiopia's internal affairs. We've been tracking uh, Eritrean uh, troop movements uh, across the border. Uh, they are extremely concerning and we condemn it. All external foreign actors should respect uh, Ethiopia's territorial integrity. And an international NGO launches a three-month campaign for peace awareness in some West and Central African countries. Those stories and more are coming up on Daybreak Africa. Senegalese president and current African Union chairperson, Mati Sall, has appealed for more support and engagement with Africa in the fight against terrorism. Addressing the 77th UN General Assembly, which is underway in New York, President Sall also called for de-escalation and cessation of the war in Ukraine and for the formation of a high-level mediation effort, including Africa. Speaking through an interpreter, President Sall called for a more inclusive UN Security Council, including a permanent seat for the continent. Terrorism, which is gaining ground on the continent, is not just an African matter. It is a global threat that falls under the primary responsibility of the Council, as it is the guarantor of the collective security mechanism under the charter of our organization. We therefore urge the Council to engage more with us in the fight against terrorism in Africa and to do this with more appropriate mandates and more substantial resources. We call for a de-escalation and a cessation of hostilities in Ukraine, as well as for a negotiated solution to avoid the catastrophic risk of a potentially global conflict. Negotiations and discussions are the best tools we have to promote peace. I launch an appeal to put together a high-level mediation mission to which the African Union stands ready to contribute. Nearly 80 years after the birth of the United Nations system and the Bretton Woods institutions, it is time for a fairer, more inclusive global governance that is more adapted to the realities of our time. It is time to overcome the 
reticence and to deconstruct the narratives that persist in confining Africa to the margins of decision-making circles. It is time to heed Africa's just and legitimate demand for Security Council reform as reflected in the Ezzelwini consensus. In the same vein, I reaffirm our request for the African Union to be granted a seat in the G20 so that Africa can finally be represented where decisions that affect 1,400,000,000 Africans are being taken. Mr. President, ladies and gentlemen, with the COP27 in Sharm el-Sheikh in Egypt only a few weeks away, Africa reiterates its commitment to the Paris Climate Agreement. At the same time, we wish to reach a consensus for a fair and equitable energy transition as was called for at the Africa-Europe summit last February at the enlarged session of the G7 summit in June and recently at the Africa Adaptation Finance Forum in Rotterdam. That was Senegalese President and current African Union Chairperson Macky Sall speaking Tuesday through an interpreter at the 77th United Nations General Assembly in New York. A former UN Undersecretary General for Political Affairs says he's not optimistic that Africa will be granted a permanent seat on the UN Security Council soon. Ambassador James Jonas says this is because of the refusal of some permanent members to even consider the idea of an African permanent membership since the initial proposal was first made 26 years ago. On the war in Ukraine, Ambassador Jonas says Africa has a legitimate reason to demand participation in any mediation efforts to end the conflict because the continent is the most affected by the war. He tells me that the 77th UN General Assembly currently underway in New York provides an opportunity for African leaders to express to the world the present issues facing the continent and how they perceive those issues should be resolved. I believe this is a very, very sound proposal for this reason. It is the pattern that often when we have acute international problems, Africans are seldom called upon to give their views, particularly when measures are being taken to resolve them. So this is sound also because Claims have been made again and again in recent weeks that Africans are the victims of Russia's war in Ukraine because of the food crisis. And if this is so, then Africa has a legitimate reason to insist that they are part of the mediation efforts. Dr. Jonas, you were at the United Nations, and as far as I can recall, Every year when the United Nations General Assembly meets, African leaders make reference to the need for expansion of the UN Security Council. The president of Senegal did make that request again in his speech. Why hasn't this happened? James, I'm sorry to say that this is an embarrassing matter. After more than 25 years, debate 
in the United Nations and outside of, of the organization, very little progress has been made. Let me tell you this fact. I was one of the African ambassadors that were approached in 1996 for a serious expansion of the Security Council. Since that time, we ran into serious roadblocks. And I think what is underneath this roadblock is the refusal of permanent members to even consider the idea of having African permanent city in the council. And that continues. So I personally know all twists and turns, and I'm not optimistic that at this time, permanent members are willing to give serious consideration to the expansion of the council that may include African permanent seats. Dr. Jonas, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to speak with you. Uh, thank you, James. I carry the good off. Ambassador James Tonans is the former UN Undersecretary General for Political Affairs. He was speaking with us from New York. Report that Eritrea is mass mobilized and reserve troops has raised international concerns that the reignited war in Ethiopia's Tigray region could quickly escalate. A Tigrayan forces spokesperson said Tuesday that Eritrean troops have launched a full-scale offensive supported by Ethiopian forces. Eritrean and Ethiopian officials have yet to comment on the reports or a series of airstrikes this month that hospital officials say killed Tigrayan civilians. Mohammed Yusuf reports from VOA's Africa News Center in Nairobi. In a tweet, a spokesman for the Tigray People's Liberation Front said Eritrean forces have launched a full-scale attack in parts of the Tigray region with the help of forces from the Amhara and Afar regions. Getachi Reda said TPLF forces were defending their positions against their enemies. There was no immediate comment from Eritrean and Ethiopian authorities regarding the reported offensive. The U.S. Special Envoy for the Horn of Africa, Mike Hama, ended his visit to Ethiopia last week, the third visit since he was appointed in June. In a news briefing Tuesday, Hama said Eritrea must stop interfering with its neighbors' internal affairs. We've been tracking uh, Eritrean uh, troop movements uh, across the border. Uh, They are extremely concerning and we condemn it. All external foreign actors should respect uh, Ethiopia's territorial uh, integrity and avoid fueling the conflict. Eritrea supported the Ethiopian government of Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed when the war between Ethiopia and the TPLF broke out in November 2020. Tigray officials accuse Eritrea of committing rights violations against its people, a claim it denies. Hassan Khananji, head of the Horn Institute for Strategic Studies, says Eritrea's mobilization of troops is guided by the government's fear of conflict spreading into its territory. There is a sense that uh, you know Eritrea perhaps expects some kind of incursions or attack from TPLF, and so in part is an attempt to preempt that by increasing its own readiness as well as uh, being ready to be able to offer whatever support perhaps that uh, you know, our Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed may need. A report released Monday by the United Nations Human Rights Council accused all sides of the Tigray conflict of crimes against humanity. 
It warned that resuming the conflict increased the risk of more crimes against the population. According to the report, the human rights researchers say there were reasonable grounds to believe that the Addis Ababa government and its allied regional state administrations have committed and continue to commit crimes against humanity, such as ethnic persecution and other inhuman acts. The UN investigators said some violations include extrajudicial killings, starvation, rape and sexual violence. A five-month ceasefire in the Tigray conflict came to an end last month. Kananji says the return of Eritrean troops to Tigray will complicate the peace efforts ahead. The potential entry of Eritrea into that theatre complicates, of course, the entire equation when it comes to the search you know, for peace. Hama says the Ethiopian government and Tigray regional administration must resolve their differences through dialogue. What is important here is that the parties recognize that the United States is trying to serve their best interests, the best interests of Ethiopia, which is, again, to begin a, a process that allows them, through dialogue, to resolve uh, outstanding, complex and difficult political issues, that the fighting is not going to yield uh, victory for either side. Tens of thousands of people have been killed and millions displaced in the Afar, Amhara and Tigray regions by the war. Mohamed Yusuf for VA News, Nairobi. Listening to Daybreak Africa on The Voice of America, I'm James Butty. Washington today is Wednesday, September 21st. In Malawi, refugees and asylum seekers living outside the country's only refugee camp, Zaleka, are appealing a high court order asking them to return to the site by February. The refugees argue that doing so violates their rights. Lamek Masina reports from Blantyre. The appeal comes weeks after the government removed a court injunction which some refugees obtained last year against the government decision to relocate over 2,000 of those who are living outside the camp. In his ruling, a high court judge, Mandala Mamblasa, set aside a stay order saying the two people who obtained an injunction against the relocation had no mandate to bring the matter to court. The ruling gave the government until February to return the refugees to the camp. Luciano Mikias is the lawyer for the refugees. He says the court ruling was largely based on technicalities and the judgment did not decide the actual issue from the refugees. The actual issue was to do with whether the directive by the government to uh, compel each and every asylum seeker and the refugee to return to refugee camp was in tandem with the constitution, considering the fact that uh, there are social and economic issues in terms of capacity at the refugee camp. About 52,000 refugees and asylum seekers live at Zaleka refugee camp, which was designed to hold 10,000 people. However, the Malawi government says the move to relocate the refugees is in line with its encampment policy, which prohibits them from staying outside the camp. The policy also requires the refugees to work within the camp premises. But Mikias says a policy cannot supersede constitutional provisions protecting economic rights. He says the decision violates economic rights 
as enshrined in Malawi constitution. It's not even within the mandate of the government to promote uh, breaches of human rights. You look at uh, these people now, uh, what the, ever the government is saying, is, is technically creating tension between the citizens and the refugees. Home Affairs Minister Jean Sendeza told VOA Tuesday that she would comment on the matter once she has seen grounds for the appeal. Officials at the Supreme Court of Appeal say dates for the case will be set once the courts now on recess resume their duties. Lamek Masina for VOA News, Blanta, Malawi. The National Elections Commission of Liberia, also known as NEC, says the campaign period for next year's presidential and legislative elections will run from September 4 to October 8, 2023. But opposition and ruling parties say a 34-day period is not realistic for the national vote. Rita Gilabwe-Duo reports from Monrovia. In past elections after the country's civil wars, voters and candidates were given at least 60 to 90 days to campaign. But for the upcoming presidential and legislative elections, the National Elections Commission or NEC has shortened the time frame to 34 days. This move by the NEC has met resistance from the public, the opposition and even some in the ruling party. Joseph Flomo voted for the current government in 2017. Flomo says 34 days are not enough to help him or any other voter make informed decisions. This is not a student council government campaign, but a government to be elected by the people and to represent them. We need ample time to have interaction with our aspirants, to view their platform and scrutinize them well. Luther Tape is the national chairperson of the former ruling Unity Party. He says the NEC's action is intended to influence the choices of the Liberian people, considering the deplorable conditions of rules outside the country's capital city. How do they expect us to campaign for only a month when there are major road challenges across the 15 counties? The unit party will definitely resist. Tiawan Ganglu, former president of the National Bar Association of Liberia, is contesting the presidency in the pending elections. Ganglu says the time frame given by the NEC favors the ruling party, which according to him has been campaigning throughout its first term. The time frame provided by the Elections Commission is too short and is definitely unfair to the opposition political parties. It is intended to give an unfair advantage to the ruling party. Therefore, I'm calling upon the Elections Commission to expand the time from one month to three months. However, Moba Molu, national chairperson of the ruling CDC, says it is inconceivable that anyone will think that the party has influence over the Elections Commission. We are as amazed as anyone out there regarding the reduction in camping period. So I hope the Elections Commission will come up with a proper explanation or will reevaluate the schedule. NEC's chairperson David Etter Brian Lassana declined to speak with the VOA on the reduction of the camping period for the 2023 elections. This is Rita Drawedu for VOA News, Imorovia, Liberia. 
Sierra Leone's Minister of Education, David Senget, is in New York, along with other education ministers, to attend UNESCO's Transforming Education Summit this week. Senget spoke with Ricky Stryak about how the country is working to improve its education system, including the recruitment of over 12,000 teachers over the past three years. I think in Sierra Leone, we recognize that for improving the quality of education, it's also about teacher teacher quality, teacher um, retention, professional development, policies around that. And this is why some of the most transformational policies we've done over the last couple of years has focused precisely on that. We've developed teacher allocation policies, we've developed teacher development policies. In addition, we have reassessed. That means we looked at teacher qualification and we put them at the right pay scale. About 5,000 teachers are now paid at the appropriate pay scale. So in 2019, we increased salaries uh, by 30%. And then recently, we've been able to have increasing salaries again by 45% over the next three years. There's many ministers from many different countries and many different regions. One of the subjects is greening education. When we talk about, first of all, emissions, you know, the average student in Sierra Leone emits a lot less than, let's say, the average student in Europe or in France or the U.S. That discussion needs to be different in regards to a, uh, a student in Sierra Leone or in Kinema, not the exact same discussion as someone in, you know, Paris. Yes, no, you're absolutely right. I think that when we really speak about contributions to climate, uh, you, 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 you see that countries um, like, uh, I mean, in Western countries, uh, the way they, they contribute to the climate problem is similar. It, it's different and perhaps worse when you compare it to, to ours. But ultimately, when the challenges of climate come, it affects us worse. We see many of our schools washed up with, with worse rainfall and it's important that even though we are not part of the largest emitters we can also contribute to solving the climate crisis which is a global problem and some of the ways in which we are doing that our schools are planting lots of trees within our schools that was david Senge, sierra Leone's minister of education you were speaking to ricky stryak from new york in New York, the Stand for Life and Liberty, an international NGO, has launched a three-month campaign for peace awareness targeting communities in Western Central African countries. The campaign, which was launched today, September 21st, on the sidelines of the United Nations General Assembly, aims to encourage youth in these regions to embrace and preach peace. The countries affected include Burkina Faso, Mali, Niger, Ghana, Ivory Coast, Nigeria, and Cameroon. Viewers Peter Clotis spoke with Dawuda Emil Widrago, coordinator of the NGO, about the motivation and rationale behind the campaign. This campaign is uh, to sensibilize the people about uh, building the peace between the communities. And uh, the idea of uh, this uh, campaign is uh, to talk to the people through the young people, the young women and the, the young uh, uh, men can uh, talk to their own language and share their good idea about uh, the peace. So this campaign will be uh, in the, the native language of the people who live in West Africa and in Central Africa. What prompted you to launch this campaign? What is the motivation behind it? Yeah, the motivation behind that is uh, we've seen in uh, Africa, especially in West Africa, uh, there are 
uh, terrorism. We cannot tell that. And around Africa, they are, we have a war, we have the conflict. So we seen that if we don't talk to the young people to build the peace in the future, it want to be hard to build the peace. This is the first reason. The second reason, we see uh, the people trying to build one community against another community. We want to talk to the people to say we are one. We have to build the peace together because we have to live together. If not, we're going to disappear together. That uh, bring us to think about this idea and uh, to launch this campaign because it's very important that the community know when you look at another people, this people is your brother. This people is the same human as you. Dawuda Emil with Draugo is the coordinator of the international NGO Stand for Life and Liberty. He was speaking with viewers Peter Clotty on the sidelines of the 77th UN General Assembly. And that's it for this Wednesday, September 21st edition of Daybreak Africa. 